Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Van Morrison, singing Brown-Eyed Girl. Joining me from the great state of Kansas, where Bob Dole was a senator for from year for years, is uh, he's not a great he's not a son of the state of Kansas, but he's residing there. Will Costantini. Will, how are you? Great, Mac. Hey, you'll be happy to know global warming is over. It's twenty-seven degrees in Kansas. <laughs> Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that it returns because no kid, <laughs> there is there is an upside to the all, all the global misery, and that is very nice uh, temperatures. So uh, twenty seven degrees. Well, good for you. What um, what kind of music did you grow up listening to as a kid? What kind of uh, uh so figure I was in high school, late seventies. So it was all that stuff, you know, Led Zeppelin. Um, Southern rock was big then. Um, uh, I don't know stuff like that. All right, all right. So, and then well, I went to the Naval Academy, and we weren't allowed to have a radio for a year. So, so you don't have music anymore. I mean, do you do you listen? No, to I do. Do you, who, yeah, I got I got all kinds of stuff. Who are you I, listening uh, to now? If I, if I was asked you, so what's the latest thing you're listening to is? Um. Let's see. This morning, uh, when I was working out, I had, you know what? I had a, I had like a seventies track on there. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, yes. Led Zeppelin. Yes. Um, what else was on there? Um, Pretenders. Nice. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like that. Nice, nice, nice. All right, just, just curious. What um I wanted to, first of all you're the only person I know that's had COVID. Um, are, are you fully recovered now? Are you full up around? I, I as far as I can tell, I'm fully recovered. I uh, I had a head cold for three days that went away, and I lost my sense of taste and smell. And I think that was about two weeks. It's sort of hard to tell when it's totally back, right. but I'm pretty sure it was two weeks and it was totally back. And those were the only symptoms uh, that I had. Uh, and as far as I can tell, I'm fully recovered. Got it. Um, you sent me some data, and I want to talk about that. Um, uh, and it is a uh, it, it's an article by something called the in something called the Sentinel. Now, if you click on the tab, and I'll put the uh, I'll put the link in uh, in this hour post. But if you if you click on that link, and then you'll see the article. If you click on the about tab on the website and this is uh, something called uh i believe the sentinel um uh, sentinel and it's in it's it, it reports on local media in kansas and state tend to be state government right and and local governments and if you read their about statement it is what you would want the media to be Fact-based, content-based, explaining and questioning, and holding people accountable. So, I was impressed. So, so Will sent this to me, and then you start looking at the data, 
right? The headline is, in the pandemic's ninth month, Governor Kelly turns focus to nursing homes. So explain to me how you run across this. Um, I don't know where I first got it, but I've been following this website for probably a year now. It's a Sentinel KSMO, so sentinelkansasmissouri.org. And that's what they do. They sort of watchdog the media and the government, and they try and highlight. And they're, they're down to county and city. They go to city council meetings type of thing. Yep. And they just try and highlight when uh, people are blustering uh, without the facts or when they do things in sort of an undemocratic way, when they shut down debate um, and when they spin. And, and I find their stuff to be very, um, yeah, critical thinking uh, type uh, of reporting. Yeah, it's, it's actual news reporting, which means it's in the 0.0001% of things you find about the media. And I'll tell you what, it's actually interesting and informative to, <laughs> to, to read. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so let's talk about um, let's talk about what's in it. Um, uh, first of all, um, it's it's you're seeing more and more reporting on it now on television where the audio is not matching the video that that they're you're not allowed to eat, whether you're in New York City or Los Angeles. Uh, I was in San Diego yesterday after speaking at, uh, at Miramar and you can't go into a restaurant and eat. So you get your food and you sit on the tailgate of your pickup truck. And um, yet only 1.5%, less than 1.5% in most places of the cases trace to some restaurant origin. So it's not being transmitted here. They're, yet they're paying an incredible price as businesses, uh, as, as uh, cities lock themselves down and essentially make small business owners pay for something that's not very science-based. Um, give me your thoughts as you look at that data, Will, and you look at the article and the picture that it paints, not a very good picture of of the way we govern in this country. And uh, and, and and this kind of paints a story of, of the reality in Kansas. And I would tell you this, you don't see this data. You have to go looking for this data because what you see in the national media is number of cases. And, and and you tend not to see the footnotes, which I find disturbing. Um, and I don't care if you talk about stars and stripes, four new cases in on the Korean Peninsula, Eighth Army getting ready to lock it down. Really, right? To my knowledge, three known cases of active duty soldiers dying of COVID uh, out of one point three million. And I and I said this the other day. Will might know how to read it because he went to the Naval Academy. But the number that I get when I divide three by 1.3 million, I don't even know what the fuck that number is. It's got all these like minuses next to it and shit like that. Do you know how to read that number, Will? Yeah, it's like infinitesimally small. You're 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 more likely uh, to get run over by a small person riding a unicycle juggling chainsaws. You know. <laughs> there, there, there you go. No, but it's I mean. I mean it's it's crazy, uh, but but that tends to be the reporting that we see. This number of cases, 
Well, and, and we'll talk about Kansas. So let's go through the numbers on Kansas and paint the picture of the state that you're yeah. residing in. Yeah. So in Kansas, um, 179,000 total cases, 1,900 total deaths. Interesting, though, senior living facilities in Kansas, 8,500 total cases. So 8,500 out of 179,000, we'll round that off to about 5%. 5% of the cases are in old folks' homes. 45% of the deaths are in old folks' homes. And here's where it comes down to government. The Kansas government got $1.25 billion from the feds for COVID. And they spent $45 million on PPE and other measures for old folks' homes. So the government, while 5% of the cases led to 45% of the deaths, took $1.25 billion and spent $45 million. So they spent less than 5% protecting the most vulnerable population. That's government. And you don't, you don't tend to see that story, that analysis in a lot of you know, places. I, I, I was talking earlier this week that, you know, as we, you know, you've heard Dr. Fauci and uh, Dr. Burks saying since the spring that, you know, the winter is going to be very, very problematic. Uh, it will, uh, this, if it runs its course, will track, uh, you know, influenza, you know, through the winter, which rises and then ebbs in the spring and, and it has its lowest in the summer. Um, yet we saw in the spring this incredible hand-wringing about ventilators and, and surge capacity and things like that. You know, the comfort and the mercy both set sail. And yet through the, the, through the planning throughout the summer in preparation for the worst that was yet to come, you know, Dr. Fauci, who's so revered, right, his advice was ignored by all these people who claimed that he's the duty expert on this shit. And no surge capacity was, was created. And I'm talking about things like, you know, we're going to modify two more floors in the hospital to be ICU. We're going to use other facilities for general hospital beds. So the people that can be moved to other places, we will do that. We're not going to try to replicate ICU, you know, offsite. So, I mean, I think common sense type of stuff, that wasn't done. So when we sat in the OPT was, well, like, if it gets really bad, we'll just shut down the economy. And if that was, those people should be removed from office so fast, it should make their head spin. But that seems to be, if I look at what's going on, that was that must have been the plan. We'll just shut it down. And I find yeah, it, and- I find it absolutely like head splitting, stupid, right? That that's how we decided to deal with this. It's crazy. Yeah, and and you know, not to overly personalize this. Go ahead. Um, but you know, he, here's a good example. Um, I, I get a physical every April. I just, for whatever reason, I do it in April. And last April, my doctor didn't want to see me. And I was like, no, I'm getting my physical in April. So, okay, we'll get your physical. And she checked me out. No big deal. Told me to, to pay attention to a couple of things. 
So I paid attention to him and I went back about two months ago and I said, hey, doc, I don't know about this thing. And she looked at my skin, she says, oh, that's no big deal. But oh, look at this one. You need to go to a dermatologist for that. So I went to a dermatologist and it's basal carcinoma. It's a, it's the, it's, if you're going to have cancer, it's the best kind of cancer to have. Doesn't spread rapidly. Doesn't spread to other organs. So I had that thing taken out about a week or so ago. I could have very easily been a statistic, though. You know, that, that if, if it does, yeah, me. does goes undiagnosed, lingers for a long time, and even though it spreads slowly, uh, kind of like pancreatic cancer, when it's by the time you notice it. Right. It's so far along, you're screwed. And and so am I in the point one percent that insisted on going and getting my annual exam because I've been well indoctrinated by the American medical system to have that? Well, except for now. Am I in the one percent that maybe saved myself some significant heartache in the future? And if I'm in the one percent, that means that there's ninety nine percent of those other people out there. Because government didn't do what they should. 5% of the cases, 45% of the deaths in old folks' homes. And, and the numbers in Kansas to continue, overall, if you get it and you don't live in a nursing home, you're going to survive 99.4% of the time. That's Kansas numbers. That's Kansas numbers. Yeah. 99 Point four for everybody else who's outside the nursing home. And if you live in a nursing home, you're going to survive 89.8% of the time. And for that, we're shutting down the state. As opposed to devoting, I don't know, 80% of the resources, 90% of the resources to old folks' homes. And had we done that, think of all the things we could have done. Provided extra staff found other facilities to be able to separate people out, uh, provided PPE, had more restricted visiting and protection, educated families, and we could have saved, uh, I don't know, how many percent of those people in those nursing homes and allowed everyone else to go to their doctors for routine exams so that they find all those other things that are wrong with them, allowed kids to go to school and prevent all the downside of kids being isolated at home and not learning, uh, allowed people to run their businesses and provide for their families and prevent all that mental stress as, as well as all the other things that we've done to ourselves. That's government, right? I, I, don't, I don't expect in February and March for people to have the silver bullet. But I expect government to, again, look at the portfolio of issues out there and do the critical thinking to figure out who's the most vulnerable. Again, Mac, if you and I would have been talking two years ago and someone has said, hey, there's really going to be a bad flu, it wouldn't have taken me, you, and the next guy who walked up on the street to figure out old people and sick people are the most vulnerable. They always are to a flu. Okay, where's the greatest concentration of old people? Eh, Florida, Arizona, and nursing homes. And we would have figured out 
that those are the places we have to protect. Not quite sure how, because we're not experts in that, but we would have garnered the experts that would have told us, geez, we're going to have to separate people out. We're going to have to have greater sanitization of things, et cetera, et cetera. And we would have put that plan in and someone had said, oh my God, what about little Johnny? And we would have said, hey, little Johnny is in the 0.0001%. These people are in the 50%. We're going to devote the resources to protecting them. But we didn't do that. We panicked. Leaders panicked. Uh, and they did things because they couldn't just sit there and think. They had to do something for the current Twitterverse attention span of eight seconds to make themselves feel like I'm doing something. As opposed to real leadership is thinking through and making the hard decisions. And, you know, we just in in. Most states, municipalities, we didn't have those leaders. And we're suffering for it. We we killed a lot of people in nursing homes that we could have saved. And Kansas, I don't know what the numbers, you know, 5%, 45% of the deaths. I hate to think what New York is. I mean, Cuomo killed a lot of people in New York. He's gotten, and, he's, he's gotten a pass for that, too. Yeah, and the second and third order effects... The undiscovered cancers, the depression, the isolation of kids, the lack of learning for a year. I mean, you go to school for 12 years, it seems like a long time, but if you miss a whole year of it, hey, you just miss 6 7% of your education. You know, maybe not being in a public school for a year is good for you. Who knows? But that's oh, not I the can theory tell you, of how we govern. As somebody who's got uh, a daughter who didn't go to a, attend a class for eight months, um, it's not. It's no, not, it's not good. It's not. It's not and, 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 uh, and, and, and Colleen is a good student, but she's struggling in school now. And and interesting, you know, the, the stories out two, three, four weeks ago were – you know, good students seem to be doing okay, but bad students are doing much worse. Well, no kidding. You couldn't have figured that one out either. Well, and let me tell you this, and the bad students will never recover from that either. No, never. Never. An- an- another anchor on our society. Yep, 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 yep. The, um, and again, and then there's <clears throat> uh, some of the other things are um, you, the infrastructure that surrounds young people. Um, is, um, you know, teachers, mentors, right, coaches, going to practice and all that stuff, all has gone away with with all the effects that that has when you take away that kind of influence in a young person's life. And think about this, the number of single-parent families that we have, and now those kids lose that support. This is going to ripple through our culture for a long time as you can't pull that kind of support out of young people and not expect it to manifest itself in some way, and it will. And again, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just throughout this whole thing, the facts don't seem to matter, right? It's just, again, and I don't know if it's Donald Trump's presence in any way, in any discussion, like nobody can have a rational you know, discussion because Donald Trump's a part of it. I don't know if that's the excuse we're going to use, 
but it's just, in my opinion, pathetic. I, I remember when we got the first up-armored Humvees in Iraq, and I was working as part of the G3 at the time uh, in Ramadi, and um, somebody threw it at me and said, where should these go? And right, what would the immediate response be? Well, right, we have you know three major cities, and Huseba, Ramadi, and uh, Fallujah, uh, we should divide them up between, you know, the, the three regiments, right, that own those things. And so, I mean, that, that's Marine Corps way, right? So I thought and I pulled out where people were being killed by IEDs. And I said, how about we apportion relative to this? And this, and, and this is at a meeting the next day. And everybody went, oh, yeah, so you can see the data here. Ramadi is a place where we're losing the most people to IEDs. You know, you know, why don't we divide it by percentages of kills? That would make sense to me. And that's ultimately what we did. And that's the case you're making. Like, if um, if what what percentage of of, of of deaths coming out of senior citizens in in Kansas? Forty five percent just in the senior living facilities that doesn't count all old people right five percent of the cases in those facilities 45 percent of the deaths okay so if we expand it to include everybody that's over the age of say 65 let's use that over the age of 65 what percentage of death is that in kansas now i don't they i know they don't give that statistic but i've seen this on the kansas department of health website i believe that uh over 65 might be on the order of 87 or 88 percent of the deaths. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's what we're we're going to devote 90 percent of the revenue to that to to those people in some way, shape, or form. That makes sense, right? So where did the money go? What was it used for after we did PPE? Good yeah, qu- and good, I and good and question. You read, right? you read that article. It's one of the things they can't find out. Let right. me. Uh, let me spin down to the bottom because I think there was a quote. Um, a state senator requested a detailed list from the administration of the PPE purchased and where it went. And Governor Kelly ordered them to ignore the request for information. <laughs> You know, that's a beautiful thing about politics. One of the things I learned, even at the local level, right, is that when it's bad news, right, you you do what Secretary Mavis did, right, when General Dunford authorized the ground combat integration study. And, you know, he knew that that thing was not going to, right, was not going to confirm the direction that he was ordering the Marine Corps to go. He assassinates the study. Yeah. You don't you you don't stand there and say okay, well, you know I respect the Marine Corps and I and I don't and I don't doubt the study, but this is the direction we're going. You don't do that, right? And stand up there and 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 you do whatever you think you're supposed to do as a politician. What you do is you you cast doubt on the study, and it's just it's just. Hey, I, I wanted to go back to one little thing. Sure. You know, you, you talked about uh, the kids and what they're missing, so. You know, here's the effect that, that can't be measured. But if you would have missed a year or two of sports in high school, would you have been as good a Marine officer as you were? No, without a doubt. No. no. I don't think so. No. 
No. Those things, those, those guys things are, were, were yeah, huge those, in my life. Those are immeasurable type of things. Uh, and I can't imagine sitting out of school for a year or a year and a half that what I would have gained by sitting out would have any way compensated for what I missed in my future life and everything else that I did. But we can't measure that, but we're going to be feeling that for years. Right. No, right. In ways we don't anticipate now, you're going to see, I mean, so left to our own devices. I mean, if there's any ingratiating thing about the cell phone, hopefully these kids are sitting at home staring at their cell phones all day and not going out and do what we would do, which was vandalize things, right, and and other stupid events and get in trouble. Um, You know, and so hopefully they're staying at home doing nothing um, because that's what the culture kind of influences them towards. But, uh no, I, 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 I can't, I, and I just talked about this. If, if I would be doing Zoom classes all day, I would have, you know, that window kind of off to the side. I've, I'd have ESPN on. I'd have my friends up there in a chat window. I, and I would pay as little attention as I had to because I was not so interested in school when I was in high school. And, uh, and I was a good student, I, you know. I got enough. I did. I did whatever it took to get by, and nothing more. And I cannot imagine me, you know, zooming in. And then for for you know, Colleen Colleen goes to school from eight to ten thirty. <coughs> yeah, that's it. That's the intellectual part of school. Yeah. Yep. 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 And so. At some point, but again, my my thing, and then I played the audio of that of that turns out to be a marine officer um, who who tells the Shasta County, you know, commission, hey, we're not going to stand for this much longer, right? And so, I mean, I cannot imagine the anger that people feel who've worked their whole lives to create a business and see it destroyed, and now what? I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose this life that I built for my family. Where the hell are we going to go? We're going to move back in with one of our parents. Are you kidding me? But we got nowhere else to go because the government has shut down the restaurant business. And yet the restaurant business yields 1.5% of it. I mean, I, how do you, man, how do you keep from going postal in that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Um, we're kind of tag teaming this. You were instructed to bring a uh, topic. What did you choose? Yeah, I, I sent you an article from the Marine Corps Times. Yes. Um, you sent me two of them. Yeah. Which I think one? They're do both want, pretty good. Which one do you want to talk about and why? Um, let's talk about women will attend boot camp at San Diego Marine Corps Recruit Depot for the first time in history. Got it. All right. Why? Yes. Why? Why do we want to talk about them? Just because what the the pull quotes in there uh, from the commandant and the other people. Okay. Um, so in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2020, the Marine Corps was required to integrate boot camp. And so they're going to start doing it in San Diego. And um, you know, some things are just interesting to me. The, the, the commandant is quoted in there as saying that 
The Marine Corps needs to increase its racial and gender diversity to complete its mission. So he puts that out as a statement of fact. Um, what does it, that mean? It, exactly. And it's mean? not clear. You know, the Marine Corps for 240 plus years or since uh, women have been in the Marine Corps since the 40s has said we do we need to gender segregate in boot camp because it's better. It produces better Marines. And then the law said we had to change. And now, of course, we're licking the boots of everyone who just told us to go do it. As opposed to, um, yeah, we got to do what we're told. Uh, but there are some significant downsides uh, to this based on our experience. Either that or we were bullshitting ourselves for the last 80 years that segregated boot camp was the way to go. Well, let's ex- let's explain segregated boot camp because in my conversations with with guys who've been recruiters and been at the top of the recruiting food chain, um, they were adamant that it was the best way to go, and they were they were they would relay conversations with parents of female Marines saying that they they liked that it was you know based on a lot they had heard and their concerns about sexual harassment that they were they were they were happy that their their daughter would be in a in, in a segregated organization in this first part of in, in in recruit training and so they were the people that I spoke to when when the subject would come up and ask for their you know what do you think they say oh no you know it's the it's the right thing to do uh, yeah and i mean there's there's oh hold segregated. on hold on and let, and let me just relay one more point the other thing they said was look you know now you know, imagine this. Imagine your gym class integrated by gender. Okay, do you think that would be good for the self-esteem of women? Because, you know, the, the guys are going to start, and then let's just say we're going to run a mile and a half. And then the guys are all going to be sitting there at the finish line because they'll be faster, by and large. There'll be some girls who, 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 who will keep up. But by and large, you'll, you'll have the men finish first, and then they're going to sit there, and then the women are going to finish. And they said, that's not good in terms of creating strong female Marines. And so the fear is that they're going to feel like second-tier citizens and they're not good enough, and they're going to hear about it too. It's not like nobody's going to talk shit. And so they said it's important to stand them up as strong Marines first and integrate them second, and that was the rationale. So your thoughts on that? Yeah, and and I want to find uh, the quote. The quote uh, from, I think it's Brigadier General Ryan Heritage, who's the uh, CG at San Diego, is the opportunity and experience these young men and women will get in terms of training and learning from one another is immeasurably important to prepare all of our Marines for success. I wasn't aware that the purpose of boot camp was for those young men and women to learn from each other. And in fact, the Marine Corps wasn't aware of that for 80, the last 80 years where women were in segregated boot camp. But I guess that's what boot camp is now. We throw all these young men and women together and they learn from each other and they make great Marines that way. Um. Again, maybe I'm just the old guy here now. I think and you, I just I think you might it. be. Well, first of all, General Heritage, I've met him. He's a smart dude, man. 
He is a well. A, maybe he. Do you he know, know? Do you know him? I do not. Um, but again, he's on a national stage. You know, ready to end his career, right? With the wrong quote, that right? That comes out of his uh, house. Uh, that's attributed then to him. I got it. But wouldn't you rather have no quote than that quote? Um, you just on. told everyone that they don't know what the hell they're talking about, and for that Marine Corps has been not been doing boot camp right for two hundred and forty something years, and particularly the last eighty years where it's been segregated. Or 70 years where it's been segregated. That all those people knew nothing. The most important thing is that these young men and women, the opportunity and experience they will get from training and learning from one another. Well, I don't know. You might be loading loading some baggage onto that that he would say, yeah, I don't know that I agree with that. You know, but we have been told to shut up in color. And so uh, shut up in color. Shut up being the number oh, one part of that. Shut up being part of it. Got it. I think um, I, I think this is now a political event, right? It's totally. It 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 just should. It, it, at some point, though, again, there there is the organization works because when you're given an order, you execute it, unless there is a moral, ethical, or legal reason not to right at what point do you cross sort of a moral ethical bound and let no one out there construe me saying that women don't belong in the marine corps don't believe that i had too many smart hard-working thoughtful uh, marine officer and enlisted women who contributed to the mission but and, and they all did it by being in segregated training, as a matter of fact. Um, all of a sudden, we're going to be better because of this. And the moral ethical part of it comes into um, we're not going to be better. The training is not going to be as good. And you're going to put people in harm's way that aren't able to maximize their training. If they do training like boot camp, and again, think of uh, Edson Range and doing a crucible of Mount Motherfucker there, right? right. You've been on that hike. Yep. Okay. I'm intrigued to see what the pace is going to be when they integrate that thing. And if they slow down the pace to make sure that everyone gets through it, they've just harmed the people that should be pushed now, if they again, don't but we've slow, been told, we've been told the con, the standards not going to be lowered. We've been told okay, that throughout. So if you're not going to lower the standard. Then you're going to break a lot of women unnecessarily. And, and that's not emotion. It's fact. We proved it. Right. The top right. 1% of women are as good as the bottom five or 10% of men. Right. Physically. Look, God built people a certain way. Evolution. You can go whichever way you want to go, faith or science. Men and women are different. They're differently abled. Statement of fact right there. We should exploit those abilities. General, you know, we got told, you know, standards not going to be, you know, changed. And then, you know, we have General Bohm telling us that, oh, yeah, all those hikes that I would see, nine of them in total, you really only have to pass three of them. What? (laughs) What? And, 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 and that comes on the heels of 
yeah, the standard's not going to be compromised. And so, so if, if, so I would be curious, you know, the army experience of, do they slow all their shit down so everybody could feel good about themselves? Is that what they do? I have no idea. Uh, me neither. You, be- they do have a different standard. Because right? they, they don't have, let me tell you. They don't have the same PT test standards for men and women. Oh, and let me tell you, they've implemented new standards, and uh, women are having struggling with them. And the Army's invested years into these studies, right? The women are having – they do this thing where they hang on a pull-up bar and they pull their knees up to their ch- chest. I don't know what they call this thing. Um, but this is this art. This is one standard integrated fitness, and they roll it out. And now the data they're getting back is not the data they want. And so you had voices from the Senate Armed Service Committee saying, "Hey, the Army needs to slow its roll on this thing." <laughs> they devoted millions and millions of dollars to studying, to rolling out right gender neutral fitness, and it's not working. And why is it not working? Because women are struggling with it. Women are struggling with it now. Because it can't work. Okay, so I had a uh, I had a interesting discussion with somebody this morning, um, talking about now no pictures associated with um, with um, with promotions, right? God bless America. Finally. Okay, so the whole idea of I think. You don't know what race they are, right, anymore. You don't know what they look like physically anymore. Well, you don't know it by the picture. You're still going to – if they don't eliminate the names, people know people, and they'll know. Right. Okay. you you got to make it completely blind. But taking the pictures out is a good first step. Well, what I heard was um, that the numbers are changing. And we had a discussion based on something you said, Will, about do we really want it to be merit-based? And if we want it to be merit-based, we can easily do that. Remove remove race, remove gender, right? Leave the picture off and then just promote the best people according to their record. But we know that that's not going to be allowed, right? Because the theory is, 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 you know, we'll take all that stuff off. And the numbers that they want, which is more females, right, which is more racial diversity, what happens if those numbers go the other way? They're not, they, we can't stand that. That will never last. And so my question is, so when people say more females in the Marine Corps, given what the Marine Corps does, what is the appropriate mix? What do people see as the optimum solution for that, given what Marines do? Well, if you if you take yeah, if you take the logical conclusion of the people that are pushing this, it has to be fifty one percent, i.e., their representation in the population. That's the only logical conclusion. If you go that way, if you go through some sort of critical thinking, the number is irrelevant. You want the right people who come in for the right reasons that give you diversity, and I'm talking small d, not capital D, which is a loaded word, small d, that give you a wide range of experiences and educations to ensure that you can think through and solve complex problems. 
a certain percentage of those people are going to be women. They're going to be minorities. They're going to be men. They're going to be anything. And you know what? You don't know what that is. But when you say you need a certain number of women and minorities because of what they bring, then what you've just done is made a very stereotypical argument. Because if you say women bring certain things, well, what do they bring? Do women think a certain way? Do blacks think a certain way in a monolithic way? Do people of some sort of Hispanic origin? That's pretty racist when you put it that way. I would rather have people from a wide variety, probably most of the places in the country, different types of education, some guy that went to community college and then got up to state school, some guy that joined the Marine Corps, got his degree online, then went to four-year school, some guy that went to the Naval Academy, some guy that went to the Ivy League, some guy that went to Ohio State. I want people that played piano in college and people that played Division One football. I want Rhodes Scholars. I want people, I want all of that true diversity, which you cannot get by mandating racial, gender-specific requirements. You know, it's interesting that the, you know, the commandant would, um, you know, his comments about uh, race, because um, when you look at race, on the enlisted side of the Marine Corps, uh, Hispanics come in, I want to say, enter at about 20%. I I, want to say... um, Black recruits are about um, 10 or 11%, and they're about 13% of the population. And then those numbers both grow when you get to E8, E9. Um, Black and Hispanic Marines represent 40% of the senior enlisted community. So the Marine Corps grows that number. So, I mean, they are overrepresented uh, at the highest ranks of the Marine Corps. So to me, did, the, commandant's comment, think... the commandant's comments are somewhat misleading. You know, general officers, I want to say, are eight. Black general officers are eight or nine percent. Uh, Hispanic officers are probably the demographic that changes the most. They come in, I want to say, at around 15 percent, and then they drop to eight percent. It's the most glaring drop that you see. And I don't know. It doesn't seem like we're having a, hey, here's the picture and then I, th- I think you've heard me say this before, but the challenge of, of recruiting, when you talk to recruiters, the challenge of recruiting very high-end um, black officer candidates, Hispanic officer candidates, is that, look, the whole world lays at their feet. When you're talking about those people that are that kind of talented, you know, physically gifted and, and mentally gifted, that could be CEOs of organizations – where does the Marine Corps really rank on, on on your career list? At the top? And they say the competitive, the competitive nature of that space, really, it is what it is. It's hard to recruit those high-end people because they have – the world sits at their feet. The world is recruiting them. And, and, and I'll tell you, interesting to me, when, when, uh, when I came back from Iraq as a battalion commander – uh, if you would have told me, if you would have asked me, you know, who do, who do you think really performed better than you would have thought they would have? I would have told you that the gunnies, master sergeants, first sergeant, sergeant major, master gunnery sergeants absolutely performed better than I thought they would. 
And part of that is because in the peacetime Marine Corps, those guys are not necessarily challenged in the exercise and field environment, right? You dump a whole lot of stuff on officers. The exercises don't last that long. But when you're there for the long haul, you need that senior staff NCO leadership more than ever. And I got to tell you, I was, I was really impressed with at least the people in first LAR. Um, and so the idea that, that we grew a minority population to be senior enlisted, the, I'm just saying, I thought that we had a really high quality senior enlisted population force, irrelevant of race, race, creed, color, right. national origin. Right. I, yeah. I don't, and let yeah. me just, let me just say this though, it, to me though, and, and I agree with you, right? I, I mean, to me, one of the things when we ripped with the 82nd airborne before you got there in 2004, one of the things they said was, you know, we we spent a few weeks with them, right, together. And they're like, um, should we tell them? I said, what? Are you going to make fun of us again? Go ahead. It can't hurt my feelings. And they're like, they started laughing. They're like, you guys are harder than we are. And I said, what does that mean? Does that mean stupid? And they're like, no. Like, your staff NCOs, man, they lay the wood to people. We've heard the F word said more here in the last two weeks than we heard it the whole time we've been here. You know, your guys, man, they, they they rule the roost with an iron fist. The other thing we notice is when you guys eat, you don't eat in these collegial groups. Your officers tend to eat together. Your staff NCOs tend to eat together. Your NCOs and then your, you know, your junior enlisted Marines. I said, yeah, that's how we do it. You know, and you'll see some of it, right? But, you know, by and large, you know, we tend to eat as groups. Like, yeah, we don't do that. We're more kind of this collegial group. And we think you guys do it better than we do. Right, we've lost that form and mentality in our staff and COs, and we've been having some some discussions about it. That- and, and Mac, even you know, even beyond the fact that staff and COs take charge, so in in first LAR to do our resupply forward, you know, we had these we called them log pack logistics packages. So it'd be a, basically a convoy, fuel, water, not a lot of ammo. We weren't shooting a lot of ammo, um, fuel, food, water. In each of our companies, which were often deployed at least 50 miles from a FOB, sometimes 100 miles from a FOB, those log packs were led by gunnery sergeant motor transport Marines. You know how many casualties I took in log packs? How many? Zero. You know how many times log packs left companies hanging with no fuel, no batteries, no water? Zero. Gunnies, tactical leaders, discipline, route planning, fire planning, all of that stuff. And you know how much influence I had on any of that? Zero. It went on completely below my radar, and I never worried about it. I had great staff NCOs doing that. We don't stress those guys in peacetime enough to do that. But again, the point of it is, we have great staff NCOs, and we got there by just promoting the best people, I think. Right. I don't know that we paid attention. Race, creed, color, national origin, et cetera. We just – I don't – I never sat on a list of promotion board, but I don't think that that meant shit in those boards. Right. And we produced a great cadre of senior staff NCOs by doing it. 
Why can't that be our lesson? Well, I, I, you know what? I, I'm not sure. But I'm not sure that the Marine Corps, I mean, it's like nobody tells the narrative. It's like, oh, the Marine Corps Precisely. doesn't. The Marine Corps doesn't have, you know, 13% black general officers. Well, can we discuss the narrative? Are you interested in the footnotes or is it just no? Because if you want to, if you want to know the footnotes, what you're going to see is the most glaring racial difference is the number of Hispanic officers who join, and then how small they're represented in the general officer level. That's a bigger problem. Oh, how about this though? How about we say, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Has uh, the Marine Corps performed or not performed? Again, it didn't happen every year, but it happened at least every other year from 1985 until I retired that a senior Marine officer would say, you know what? The Marine Corps is better today than it's ever been. Oh, yeah. It got better and better. And I got to tell you, I thought I thought my time in Iraq, I, I compared that to when I was a rifle company commander when I, and when I was a platoon commander. And then my time, particularly in the ACMAX office, when I saw the entire Marine Corps from way up on high, I said, you know what? I think the Marine Corps, I, I, I think we had a little bit of a lull when we expanded greatly 2005, 6, 7. I think we took in too many officers at one time right. and standards went down. I don't care what anybody says. But I got to say, I think, you know what? The Marine Corps in 2013, when I retired, it was better than the Marine Corps I joined in 1985. It got better every year. What's the problem you're trying to solve? What did you. Um what did you think got better? I think we had uh, smarter people. I think we had better education. Uh, I thought we had more thoughtful leadership. Um, and you, you think of what it took to get from the Kuwait border to Baghdad. That wasn't just technology, right? That was really smart, thoughtful, hard-nosed people doing the job. And then to sustain what we sustained with all the fuck-ups when we were there, but at the tactical level, battalion, RCT level, um, people performed. I mean, first LAR was spread out over the si- an area the size of the state of West Virginia. We communicated uh, – we understood battle space. We moved efficiently. We responded. I mean, th- we were really good. And I say we, we as a Marine Corps, were really good. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this because um, we're almost done. So in terms of recruit training, gender-integrated recruit training, it's still about being the best and running the fastest and running hard and – the women are going to have to try to keep up or do we slow it all down so that everybody can feel good? If you're, if you're in charge, what do you do? Uh, I think you have a moral imperative to be, to be, to be better, to hold the standard, Got it. which is the male standard. You cannot allow males to be that standard to come back to females. Um, Females are going to be there and they're going to have to keep up, but we're not going to hold males back to do that. That's it? I hope. I mean, it's only the defense of the nation. You know, it's not that big a deal. Uh, you know what? Again, but... Um... I know. 
Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, yeah. don't, I, don't, I don't see a general officer standing out in front of it going, yeah, this is the way we believe it should be best, with the, with and, the camera crew rolling, and here's all the guys come plowing through at the end of the run, and then this long line of females strung out forever. Um, and again, I'm not – it is what it is, okay? I'm, I'm just saying that this is what this is what Marines have never seen before, which is – and the guy's standing around – and, you know, you know, uh, they wouldn't do it in recruit training, but they would form their opinions about who can hang and who could not hang. Yeah. So, Mac, you, you can do this, right? right. Do, do the math on the schedule when these uh, platoons start up and go out there to Edson Range. And I think it's on week six, seven and eight. They do the crucible. It might be a little bit later than that. And watch when they do that hike up that hill. And you'll see what, how we're going to handle the standard. And it's going to be a trail of tears, guaranteed. Yeah, you know, you and, can, you can, you can, you can verbally deny that gender makes a difference, and then you could walk out and watch. Yeah, and then and, you, and you, you live right there. <laughs> you could actually go walk out and watch. Yeah, you can, you can. Then you can draw your own conclusions, right? Are you going to be, the audio and the video won't match up? And again, what we're saying is, and this is what came out of the gender integration study, is that. The the injury rate to females higher, okay. Their their joint problems higher, and a whole variety of 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 heavy use issues, right? And as Will said earlier, we're going to break people. Well, I mean, that's their unnecessarily. Well, unnecessarily and again, when we know better. Right, well, again, but you can't get in the way of that. That's their choice if they decide that to to do this. You know, just know that there's a pretty good chance you're going to get broken. And, uh, and, but that will be your choice. And then we can pay for it in our disability payments and stuff like that. So I would say though, that if you know that and you're a professional, there is sort of a moral ethical thing there. There just is. If you care about Marines in the way that general Lejeune says we're supposed to, but but, I know, but you're, you're arguing about going back to Congress and saying, I won't execute this. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not quite sure what I'm arguing there. Right. Um, I, and I and commandant's got a tough job. I got it. The general, the CG of recruit training has got a tough job. But, um, you, you know, there's a thing of jumping on the bandwagon, and then there's a thing of getting in the bandwagon and flooring the accelerator too. So, got it. What are you reading this week? Hey, I uh, I I just wanted to mention one thing. So the uh, Marine, or the uh, Naval Academy Alumni Association publishes a magazine every month called Shipmate. And one of the things in the Shipmate is called Last Call. It's the obituaries right. uh, for graduates. And so a guy passed away. The obit was in this month, but he passed away in August. His name's Donald Marchin Miller, class of 44. So he's 100 years old. He's probably graduating 43. Uh, graduated, went to the USS Darter. And you know what they're famous for? I, I forgot, but I know the name. I know they're famous for something. Yeah, submarine fired the first shot in the Battle of Lady Gulf. Sank the Otago, the uh, Admiral Carita's flagship. So this guy was on Darter. Darter eventually ran aground. They had to get rescued by Dace. He made another combat patrol. Then he spent 30 years in the Navy and submarines, captained a couple of uh, boomers, and, uh, you know, so a piece of history. And then uh, 
it goes on here. He got married the week after graduation. Uh, he died on August 15th. His wife died on August 12th of 2020. So a piece of history, a, a Lady Gulf veteran wow. from the Fighting Navy, uh, Donald Marchand Miller, class of 44. Never heard of him. Probably go, was a great man. Go Navy. Yeah. Um, so what am I reading? Oh, I finished that book, Horses Don't Fly by Frederick Libby. Uh, cowboy in, in Colorado, born in the 18, I guess, 1890s or so, late 1890s. Ends up in uh, Calgary at the start of the First World War, enlists in a Canadian motor transport unit. And just before they're sent overseas, they tell all the Americans, if you don't go home, you lose your citizenship. He says, well, I signed up for this. I'm going. Goes to the trenches, driving motor. And oh, by the way, he had never driven a car or a truck until the day before he took the exam to be a truck driver. And he knew he needed to pass or he'd become an infantryman. Eventually becomes an observer, aerial observer, in uh, some of the first uh, squadrons over there. They were, I forget the name of the plane, but basically the propeller was in the back, the pilot was in the middle, the observer was in the front. So he took pictures, dropped bombs, and fired machine guns at Germans. Shot down like 10 German planes, became a pilot. Shot down another 10 or so German planes. And then Billy Mitchell ends up in France. What? Uh, and basically finds these Americans that are flying uh, in the French and the British squadrons and sends all their names to D.C. and gets them sent home to be commissioned in the before there was even an Army Air Corps. And the guy goes home, and it's just—it's a great book. He—he he can't say enough great things about the Canadian and the British armed forces and the and the leaders that he had, and he can't say enough bad things about the formation of the U.S. Army and flying. Um, never ends up flying. He got hurt and uh, had some sort of bad back injury, uh, and lived to be like eighty years old. And uh, his granddaughter found this manuscript that he'd written and had it published like 20 years ago. So Frederick Libby, Horses Don't Fly. Great, great, just a great story. Uh, don't know how I found it, but wish I would have read it a long time ago. Uh, uh, all right. What's on, what's next on your list? And now I'm reading a book by Paul Rahe, R-A-H-E. It's called Sparta's First Attic War. He's written a couple of books about um, ancient Greece, uh, political type stuff, focus on Sparta. And this is, this is an interesting book because it's, it's the time period sort of during and after the Persian invasion leading to the great Peloponnesian War between Sparta and Athens. And uh, it, it just some interesting insights. You know, he talks about Sparta being very – conservative as opposed to thinking about they might, what they might get they're more concerned with keeping what they have as opposed to the Athenian sort of look at the world is how do we expand and do more and not being so worried about what we got and uh, so it, it's it's well written 
uh, and it's not a huge book. Part of the challenge of reading books like this is just keeping track of these Greek names. Oh my god, they can drive you crazy. Brutal. Yeah, but it's uh, I and he's so this is uh, Sparta's first Attic War. He's written another one, Sparta's second Attic War, which is sitting on my shelf. I think that's when they really get into the Peloponnesian War. But but these, you know, the Greeks, they've been through all this stuff. All the different forms of government, everything that people can do or fail to do. Uh, and it's it, it just interesting uh, to read. I, you know, I, I wish I would have had a greater education uh, in these kinds of things uh, previously. So, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, you know, they had it figured out 2,000 years ago. We keep stumbling on it. Well, as Jeff Kenny says, there's no, there's nothing new on the planet. I think someone said that in the Bible. I think Jeff just <laughs> stole it from them. Well, you know what? That would be in keeping with his character. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. And you know what? What better way to end? Well, thank you very much for the visit. Have a uh, have a great Wednesday. You're busy tomorrow, so we'll uh, we'll do it with Tim and Jeff. And uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, and if uh, if you hear you know any insurrection coming from Missouri, it's just me and EB and Musselman firing out about a thousand dollars worth of ammunition. I hope. Well, we'll just... con- congratulations on that. That'll be a good time. It will be a good time. All right, so, all right, have all a right, great one. See ya. Yep, see ya. That is uh, Will Costantini here on a uh, on a Wednesday edition of uh, All Marine Radio. So. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the Marine Corps got told to, repeatedly relative to gender uh, to shut up in color and uh, by politicians. And uh, I think, you know, when you talk to people that, that were involved in recruit training, they believe that the Marine Corps had the optimum solution, which was you cannot, you know, you can't lower the standards for guys and you can't hold them back, you know, for... Um, the feelings of 10% of your force. Is that what you're going to require of us? How do we thread that needle to not hold some back, you know, for others? Right? And the army's scuffling with their, you know, one, you know, unisex physical fitness test. <clears throat> All in this effort to become more diverse. And so... um, and again, as Will says, to what end? And and, and let me tell you, the, the problem in those discussions is that they get PC and if you're not on board, then guess what? You're not gonna you're not gonna be advanced in the in, in the service. So you've gotta be on board. And the truth becomes a casualty in those discussions. And and especially when you're talking about standards. Are we gonna accept a lower performance standard? And then the answer is, of course not. Of course we won't. And then we do. And then we do. And that's a problem in the name of, uh, in the name of quote unquote, diversity. And so uh, it'll be interesting to watch what happens. It'll be interesting to watch what happens. So anyway, thanks for listening on a Wednesday. Have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. It's a pretty good experience. So. I am out. See you tomorrow.